Little Pistol versus New York. Does the right to bear arms also include a concealed carry license? Professor Adam Winkler from the UCLA School of Law joins us for a high-caliber discussion. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for being here with us. We're talking about another Second Amendment case today. But before we get into it, we need to thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's say hello to our guest, Professor Adam Winkler from the UC. CLA School of Law. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you so much for having me. Professor, uh, thanks for joining us today. I definitely want to talk about this case, but before I do it, I have to eat some fact-checking crow. And so what happened here was uh, we did a, a case, uh, did another uh, Second Amendment case. It was Treviso versus Glock, Professor. And we had on Larry Keene from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And so my friend Louie told me I got a couple of factoids wrong. So I need to address those really quick, eat some crow here. So apparently I mentioned that the Glock had a heel safety, and that is not true. And I'm talking about a Glock pistol here. And and so it has a trigger safety mechanism. It has a firing pin safety mechanism, has a drop safety mechanism, but it does not have a heel safety mechanism. And I, I just misremember that. I read an article many years ago and I just, I think what happened was I got it mixed up with a different brand. And also there was a second factoid, which I got half wrong, half right. So Glocks do have loaded chamber indicators, uh, which was important in that case's discussion, but it's only for generation three Glocks and above. So you may have a Glock out there that does it. So anyway, I feel better about myself, uh, Professor. I have uh, eaten the, the fact-checking crow here. So anyway, let's get to our discussion here. So uh, Professor, tell us about your background in firearms law. And then also tell us about the uh, the work your father uh, has done in film. He produced one of my favorite movies, The Right Stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was um, uh, interested in the Second Amendment as a constitutional lawyer. I'm a constitutional law professor at UCLA Law School. And uh, some years ago, 15 years ago or so, I was curious, what really did the Second Amendment mean? There was a burgeoning controversy over the Second Amendment, and the Supreme Court seemed prime any time now to take a major Second Amendment case, which it ultimately did in 2008 in the D.C. versus Heller case, the landmark case where the court established uh, clearly that there was an individual right to bear arms. Uh, and I ended up uh, writing a book about that case and about the history of gun rights and gun control in America called Gunfight, the Battle Over the Right to Bear Arms in America. And uh, maybe my interest in firearms stems at least a little bit from growing up on film sets. My father is a motion picture producer for, uh, I guess, uh, about 55, 60 years in Hollywood. Uh, he's 90 years old now, named Erwin Winkler, made a lot of movies. And I often was growing up on sets and got to play with fake guns and whatnot. Uh, so <laughs> who knows? Maybe that uh, sparked my interest at an early age. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. We get exposed to things and we become very interested in them. So that that's just fascinating. And so uh, when you get a chance, you know, tell them thank you. I've really enjoyed the right stuff. Uh, really got me interested in aviation and, uh, you know, America's space race. So uh, thank you so much for that. Well, let's get in our case here. The name of the case is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlette. And so, Professor, my first question for you is, you know, tell us about the facts of the case. And then also, if you could describe how New York currently restricts licensing when it comes to carrying firearms in public. 
Well, New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett, a case that the court's going to hear oral argument on and decide in its next term that begins in October of this year, seems destined to be a landmark Second Amendment case. The Supreme Court has previously said that the right to keep and bear arms gives you a right to have a handgun in your home for personal protection, but the court has not addressed whether you have a right to have a gun in public. And in many cities, there are licensing regimes, such as those in New York at issue in that case, but also in places like Los Angeles and in Boston and several other major cities uh, where it's very, very difficult to get uh, a license to carry a concealed firearm. And this case raises the question about whether these restrictive concealed carry policies are constitutionally permissible whether you have a right to carry a gun in public. The case that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear, the Corlett case, involves two men and the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association challenging New York state law uh, that requires that to get a concealed carry permit, uh, you have to show proper cause. That is to say, you need to show a special need for self-protection, not just an ordinary fear of criminal violence, but say you're being stalked by someone or you carry a lot of uh, jewelry around as part of your job or a lot of cash uh, and could be a target. And so you might have a special need in those situations. And uh, these kinds of uh, policies are work in such a way as that very, very few people can show proper cause. And there are very few people in places like Los Angeles and in places like New York that get these licenses. All right. Now, as I understand, Professor, uh, the Supreme Court is going to review this case, but on very limited grounds. So I guess, could you describe for us the question or issue that the Supreme Court will be honing in on? Well, some people have read perhaps more than they need to in the fact that the justices changed the question presented from the petition for cert that was filed by the New York Rifle and Pistol Association. The New York Rifle and Pistol Association asked the court to rule on the question of whether the Second Amendment allows the government to prohibit ordinary law-abiding citizens from carrying handguns outside the home for self-defense. Uh, and the justices changed the question and said, no, the question we're going to analyze is whether the state's denial of petitioners' applications for concealed carry licenses for self-defense violated the Second Amendment. And the reason why that's, I don't think that's very significant, but I do think that the way that the cert petition framed the question assumed a fact that is not accurate necessarily, that the court would have to rule on. New York law doesn't prohibit ordinary law-abiding citizens from carrying handguns outside the home. It just imposes very burdensome requirements in order to get that right to carry guns outside the home. They do allow concealed carry permits. They're just very difficult to get. And so I think the court was kind of avoiding the implicit value judgment that would, was made by the cert question uh, that the government was prohibiting concealed carry, when really it's just what they've really done is restrict concealed carry and denied the petitioner's applications for concealed carry licenses. Now, the plaintiffs, from my research, uh, appear to have lost twice on their way up to the Supreme Court. So, Professor, can you tell us about their journey and how this case eventually wound up at the Supreme Court? Well, it's been one of the biggest issues since the Heller case back in 2008 was, do you have a right to have a gun outside the home? And what kind of permitting can states and local governments impose on people who want to carry concealed firearms? 
And that unanswered question has been one that's been the subject of a lot of case law already in the lower courts. And there's been a number of challenges uh, brought by organizations. The New York Rifle and Pistol Association is the NRA's advocacy group in New York. And uh, with advocacy groups and uh, other people uh, have been out there challenging these restrictions on concealed carry all the way back to 2008. And the Supreme Court has just consistently avoided taking on these cases. Uh, There's been one petition for cert on this issue after another over the last 10 or so years. The court did take this case, and that's partly why it's really significant, because not only is it an unanswered question, but after a long time of avoiding it, the justices have finally decided to answer it. And I think that's a result, honestly, of the 2016 election. Donald Trump appointed three justices to the Supreme Court, all of whom have very strong uh, pro-gun Second Amendment views. And uh, I think their presence on the court has led the court to uh, take up this issue now. Yeah, I want to build upon uh, that point that you just made there. Uh, I've got two sort of follow-up questions on that, on the reasons why the Supreme Court picked up this case. And the first is a little more complicated than the second. So the first one has to do with the case you just mentioned, the District of Columbia versus Heller, but uh, also McDonald versus City of Chicago. And so that's become sort of this area of law that uh, has provided some meaning to uh, different states uh, as they go about, you know, different regulatory controls on firearms. But More recently, there's been sort of these lower court decisions that have sort of muddied the waters a little bit, provided sort of an inconsistent legal landscape there. So I was wondering, uh, just commenting on that with this growing level of inconsistency along with Heller and uh, McDonald versus city of Chicago, maybe motivating the court to get in here and clarify a few things. I think that's definitely possible. This is an area where we have a circuit split. Uh, We do have most of the circuits that have ruled on the issue holding that discretionary permitting, like New York has, is constitutionally permissible. But the D.C. Circuit held that it was not constitutionally permissible. So we do have a split in the circuit. That D.C. case was not, which involved the concealed carry policies of Washington, D.C., was not appealed to the Supreme Court in part because D.C. wanted to avoid a Supreme Court ruling on this issue. So there has been inconsistency on the question of concealed carry in particular. Okay, so my my second part of this is um, this nexus between this case and another very similar one coming out of the city of New York. And so it was uh, also brought by the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. And so it had to do with the ability, it was a banned ability to transport licensed firearms outside of the city. And so now correct me if I'm wrong, and it's been a while since, uh, you know, I read uh, any media accounts of this, but my understanding with this is that the older case by uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association was found moot because when the case got up to the Supreme Court level, the city decided to drop the ban and, and that made the case moot. But there were some justices on the court that thought, you know, this can come up again. We may see another case like this where, you know, there's a, a firearm uh, restriction and then the second it gets up to the Supreme Court, suddenly the ban or restriction gets dropped. And so I guess now that there's a couple of new justices on the court, is that maybe another aspect of why the Supreme Court really wanted to jump in on this one? Yeah, I do think it it is possible. The personnel on the court has changed. There is a circuit split in this area. Not only that, but we have seen a consistent pattern, as you mentioned, of justices complaining that the court hasn't taken more Second Amendment cases. In part, this is not because there's so much inconsistency at the lower court, although there is inconsistency on the concealed carry issue in particular. 
On most gun issues, actually, the circuit courts uh, around the country have all kind of come to a consensus on the proper standards of review to apply under the Second Amendment. They apply a kind of two-step intermediate scrutiny and uh, have generally upheld things like uh, concealed carry, more consistency on issues like upholding military-style assault rifles bans or bans on high-capacity magazines. And in part, it's because of the almost consensus of the lower courts on this kind of intermediate scrutiny, which gives government plenty of leeway to regulate guns and hasn't resulted in very many gun laws being struck down, has occasioned some opposition among the justices. And so Justices Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh have all come out and and written in opinions, generally dissents from denials of cert or whatnot, uh, that it's time for the court to take more second amendment cases, that it's being treated as a second class right because so many gun laws are being upheld. Now, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I do want to get through uh, three more questions here. And so, uh, Professor, based on what you've seen, you know, when do you think the court will actually hear this case? And then uh, when can we reasonably expect a decision? Well, it's always hard to tell with the Supreme Court. The term starts in October. This will be one of the early cases that the court hears, I imagine. So I expect it will be heard uh, sometime during this calendar year. Uh, how long it takes to get an opinion. It may be a function of how divided the court is. I do believe this is an issue that is likely to divide the court, uh, maybe even divide the conservatives on the court on how to approach Second Amendment issues. So I wouldn't be shocked to see this uh, opinion delayed until March, April, even uh, May or June of next year. And, and given the uh, given the structure of the Roberts Court here with a few, uh, I, I guess, a few new or updated justices on the Supreme Court that a little bit more conservative leaning, I would say. What do you think uh, in terms of plaintiffs versus defendants? What will each need to show in order to prevail at the Supreme Court, the Roberts Court? Well, one has to think that the challengers in this case are uh, pretty heavily favored. You have uh, justices like Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett, who've all voice pretty strong support for the Second Amendment and uh, willing to take an approach to the Second Amendment that challenges existing gun control laws. Remember, uh, Justice Barrett, when she was a circuit court judge, uh, ruled that the lifetime ban on felons possessing firearms was unconstitutional. Uh, At least she was in dissent in that case. But it shows a willingness to sort of go out on a limb uh, in favor of broad gun rights. So you have to imagine that, that they're the favorite. However, you know, it depends on how the court really looks at this. You know, when we look at history and tradition of restrictions on public possession of firearms, there's a long one. Uh, New York first prohibited concealed carry in the 1880s. And since uh, 1911 has restricted public carry to people with a proper reason. The law really at issue uh, in the New York case uh, dates itself from 1913. And the court has suggested, and some of the justices like Kavanaugh and Barrett have suggested that we should look to history and tradition to get a sense of uh, what is the right to bear arms and what it means. And so we have a long history and tradition of restricting public possession of firearms that I, I think could compel some of the justices to, to think twice about uh, an expansive ruling on this issue. Nate, you addressed this a little bit earlier, but I want to close out on this question. And now, even though this is a little bit more limited scope review by the Supreme Court with this particular issue, you know, how influential could this case possibly be in terms of gun rights or gun restrictions going forward? I think this case is likely to be very influential. Uh, it obviously depends on what the court does, but uh, the court is, we think, likely to expand the right to carry outside of the home and say that you do have a right to get a permit to carry concealed firearms. That means a huge increase in the number of people who are lawfully carrying firearms concealed in cities like New York, 
Washington, Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, all these places that have restrictive concealed carry permit policies and have very, very few people carrying guns. To put that in some perspective, in most states that allow shall issue permitting, that is anyone can get a permit if they're a law-abiding person with a clean record, you get anywhere from you know 10 to 14% of the population getting concealed carry permits in terms of numbers. If that's 10% of the population of LA County, we go from a place where there's less than 400 people today with concealed carry permits to a place where there's you know maybe hundreds of thousands, five to 700,000 concealed carry permits on the streets. So it would really change gun policy a lot. The court might also take this opportunity to clarify the standard of review to apply in Second Amendment cases and say that that intermediate scrutiny that the lower courts have been applying is the wrong way to go about it and raise the standard of review, which might make uh, it harder to justify any number of different kinds of gun control laws going forward. Well, Professor, I really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you liked our show, please leave us a positive review in your favorite podcasting app. And also one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never, never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for keeping the powder dry. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 